Hello and welcome to another episode of the Post Post Podcast. Uh, my name is David Dali. I'm your host for this episode. This is episode seven. Um, my guest today is Kurt Gardner. Kurt worked as a visual effects artist uh, in a company called uh, Frantic Films in Winnipeg on movies like Superman Returns, uh, G.I. Joe Retaliation. Um, he didn't work on Avatar, but it was a project that he was about to do before he left. Um, and nowadays he produces and directs uh, VR game trailers, uh, which is a pretty unique profession. There's no schools to teach virtual reality game trailer direction. Uh, and Kurt pretty much invented this um, this career of his, um, you know, or, or rolled into it, if you want. Uh, and he's a really interesting person uh, to talk to. I heard about him for the first time when I was um, doing some of my own internal research about mixed reality. Uh, so back in the beginning of 2017, I got really interested in what mixed reality uh, can be used as in terms of a tool Uh, so if you guys don't know what mixed reality is, it's essentially the idea of uh, filming someone who is experiencing virtual reality, surrounding him with a green screen and projecting the virtual world that he's experiencing through his headset um, on the video of him um, being in VR. So essentially what you end up having is this kind of mixed reality in a way, which is... Um, Um, a composition of the person the the VR user inside the virtual world that he's experiencing from the camera's perspective so if you set it up properly and that's I think to me one of the coolest things about mixed reality is you can track the camera's movement uh, or it's actually the virtual reality um, desktop that's running the experience is tracking also the where the camera is and And creating um, a special view of the virtual world from where the camera is so when you put the two together um, you get this uh, composite that stays glued together even if the camera moves around so you can go around the person and you can zoom in well actually zooming in is a bit of a problem but you can let's say push the camera you know closer to the person's hand and see how the person's hand is interacting um, using the controller with uh, virtual elements and um, it's a very powerful tool for For, v, for game trailers to show, to demonstrate what it feels like to be in VR without actually forcing people to experience VR by putting a headset on them, which is something that you can't really do if you want to promote your game online, for instance, or like you want to show uh, a video on Facebook or on YouTube or Instagram, whatever, um, that kind of captures what it's like to be in that game without... you know obviously being able to experience it because those platforms don't let you do that uh, and Kurt was one of the pioneers so when I did my own research into it uh, his name kept popping up whenever I looked at uh, I was trying to find um, tutorials on how to set up such a mixed reality uh, production it was always Kurt's kind of um, blog posts about his own experiences that popped up um, and so I knew him first as a name and Uh, and in fact, for this podcast is the first time I actually spoke to him uh, directly uh, and outside of emails. But back in the beginning, he, I did send him a few emails and he did respond. He was very generous and very helpful. Um, 
I ended up using mixed reality for my own project and I just released actually a blog post about it just a few days ago uh, about this mixed reality activation that I produced for a game called Racket Enix uh, during 2017's VR LA exhibition in Los Angeles. But I think it just kind of comes to show uh, the value of, of sharing your experience and uh, releasing these uh, tutorials once in a while. You know, if, if, if you guys can do that, in the line of work that you do, uh, it's both rewarding because it helps you regurgitate these experiences that you have and remind you of these like amazing discoveries that you've made, uh, almost like a time capsule. You know, something you can always go back to years uh, years later and look at, and also provide something like breadcrumbs for people around the world to, to discover you, discover your work, your, your achievements, um, and ultimately lead to things like, you know, um, collaborations, professional collaborations, or even just friendships, or even things like um, recording a podcast together, which is something that Kurt, funnily enough, said himself, which is uh, something that he also holds valuable um, as a way to promote himself and, and get his, uh, his name kind of spread around. I'm sure most of you guys who are listening to this podcast uh, probably didn't hear about him, even though you probably know some of the games he worked on. So one of the most recent ones is the game Virtual Reality, which is uh, the Rick and Morty VR experience. He also uh, did the trailer for one of the earliest uh, VR games called uh, Job Simulator and another one called Fantastic Contraption. Of course, I'm going to put links to those uh, trailers and to Kurt's uh, website. Um, and this episode was very conversational. Uh, we didn't like cover a specific topic. We kind of jumped from thing to thing. Uh, naturally, uh, talked about other uh, hobbies that Kurt has and other uh, way, other certain projects that he does to make ends meet and the fact that he has never really like left Winnipeg uh, for a long period of time. He, he always wanted to work in film, but he was lucky to have a big visual effects company set up shop in his hometown. Uh, and he's uh, very happy about the fact that he can do what he loves and follow his passion and not have to um, migrate to a different country, uh, which is a lot of what, what a lot of people that I've been talking to have done. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, wanted to say a few th a few more things. So this intro is, uh, I guess, a bit longer than previous intros. Um, this whole kind of format. I'm I'm doing some experiments. This is just episode seven. I'm sure it's going to be uh, at some point we're going to find kind of the sweet spot and uh, keep to a certain format and and stay tight to it. Um, but this is also where you guys kind of come into play, and and I feel like uh, it'd be very valuable to get your uh, feedback on those episodes. So if you thought this. Uh, intro, for instance, was too long, let me know. Or if you like the fact that I kind of uh, took my time and, and was a bit more, um, you know, going off on a limb and obviously don't have a script in front of me, um, you know, that might also be a good thing. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I have my own experience listening to similar podcasts. I, I listen to, there's some really good ones that I highly recommend listening. If you like this kind of subject matter, there's uh, the collective podcast by uh, Ash Thorpe. 
um, and the Alan McKay co- podcast. Uh, Alan McKay is a visual effects uh, supervisor and artist that uh, uh, is super prolific. It does a ton of things, uh, free online courses and uh, tutorials, and it kind of feels like he never sleeps, essentially. And he also has this weekly podcast that's really cool. Um, and um, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm letting this uh, episode be kind of a... Um, an, an experiment in uh, longer form uh, podcast intro, but I don't want it to go too long because I also respect your time. And I know that uh, those podcasts seems tend to go pretty, pretty long. I mean, my average is like more than an hour per podcast. Uh, so without further ado, I give you episode seven of the post post podcast. So, um, how's your day? Uh, it's good so far. I, uh, spent, uh, I was like up till 3am last night. And one of the last thing I did before going to sleep was <laughs> watching some, uh, some presentations that you made on YouTube. Cause I was like, oh, nice. I should, uh, should do some research, even though I, uh, I know a little bit about you because, yeah. um, uh, obviously as you know, uh, what, uh, what, what the reason I uh, even know you in the first place is because I was doing the mixed reality research and stuff, and uh, your stuff came up uh, pretty promptly. I, I don't know if there's anyone else in this mixed reality field that has uh, put up so, quite as much uh, information and tutorials and stuff as you have. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of people out there that have sort of taken the reins and sort of ran with it because after I did that first one, like I'm a team of one, you know, so <laughs> that right. one kind of killed me, <laughs> you know, I was doing it with friends, so it was all good. But I mean, yeah, God, it was, uh, it was a bit of work. So I've kind of let it pass the torch and let anybody else that wants to <laughs> mess around <laughs> with that go for it and do it. With, with you mean mixed, rea- mixed reality specifically? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, trailers or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just mixed reality specifically. I mean, it, if something comes along where it makes sense to do that and it's got a decent budget and it's juicy and I really want to work on it, yeah, I'll try to make it work. But God, I mean, it has to be the right project. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Well, it's funny because it's like one of the first uh, things that you wrote and, and you write pretty, pretty in depth when you, when you go into that, you really dive into the technical details, which is great, which was what, what made your uh, tutorials and your uh, articles so, uh, so useful uh, for someone like myself. Uh, I just wanted to share the pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, look at how long this is. This definitely was not a walk in the park. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, it's, if, if, it need, if, if you need 20 minutes to read it, it's probably, you know, like, or, or more even, uh, then, you know, you betcha it wasn't, it wasn't easy, but it's yeah. funny because the first one was like, I kind of like, uh, you know, even though you definitely, uh, share the pain, um, it's, uh, you, you can tell that there's passion behind it, right? I mean, oh, yeah, you, totally. You yeah. did spend the time and, and you wanted to figure it out. So there's like this kind of passion. And then the last article of yours that I, that I read, uh, was how like, you know, mixed reality is not for everyone, you know, don't, <laughs> don't think that like there's other solutions out there, you know, yeah. avatar based, uh, trailers are awesome too. And, yeah. uh, and this is why mixed reality might not be the best, uh, where, you know, use of your time necessarily. Uh, if it's game trailers, what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was funny. I mean, um, I, I, 
I actually got some, uh, some, uh, I got myself dirty with mixed reality a while ago, as you know, I've been sharing some stuff with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually, I read, uh, what, which post was it of yours? Uh, I think it was about like 360 video, like 8k 360 video or something like that, or 6k 360 video. Yeah. yeah. That's something I've never had to deal with. And I'm just like, good God. Like I used to work in the digital <laughs> effects industry for eight years, you know, and right. it, it was painful then. And I could only imagine just the sheer amount of tears that would be shed having to <laughs> work in that format, you know? <laughs> one, one thing for sure is they definitely reminded me of the early days of uh, visual effects where like every Every, you know, every time you opened a software, you basically was like, you know, uh, uh, ducking for cover, basically, because, <laughs> because anything, yeah. you know, any any mouse click you did could immediately crash the software and you were working with like hardware that was barely, you know, uh, fitting what you're trying to do. And like yeah. nowadays we're kind of like in this place where people are like, oh, I can do this real time now and I can do that real time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the computer does that automatically. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And back then it was like, kind of like, uh, should I click this button or is my house going to explode right now? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and like, uh, uh, so going to 360, like two years ago, kind of, you know, got me back to that, to the early days because 360, especially because of the resolutions, not so much because of the, you know, the, the, the fact that it's like different medium and it's like immersive and, and around and like, you know, uh, the lens is warped and stuff that that's not a problem. The problem is like, you're working with 6k or 8k yeah. resolutions and trying to do the same things you do with like, you used to do 2k, even 4k, you know, it sounds on the paper, you know, on paper, it's like, Oh, it's just, you know, times times two, like how, how bad can it be? <laughs> it's like, no, it's times two, uh, square. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Three squares. So it's actually times 16 or something like that, or, or, you know, 36 when you get to like 36 million pixels. Cause it's like 6k times 6k is like crazy. Um, and then the computer, and then you realize, you know, well, we're not equipped for this, <laughs> like the computer that we have. And I was doing the project at, uh, the YouTube space, which had pretty good, uh, you know, decent workspace stations for what they needed. And like those computers were just like, you know, crawling and, and barely moving and like codecs were breaking. I mean, you, if you read it, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, it was, it was very similar. I, I wrote it with the same, I think same passion as probably you, you did when you wrote the mixed reality articles about like how, uh, just to share the pain and be like, yeah. you know, don't, don't, uh, don't dive into it too lightly, you know, yeah, you go in with open eyes. Definitely. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I, I don't know much about you, but I think I know that you started out as a VFX artist and, uh, you worked in, the, at Frantic Films. Is yeah, that Frantic Films. Yeah. It's in Winnipeg. They had offices in Vancouver and in LA by the end. And right. yeah, they got bought out by a company called Prime Focus. And mm. it was funny, like Frantic was kind of like starting to go under right around the time of like all the other companies like the Orphanage and, you know, all the mid-tier VFX studios were starting to go out of business, right? right. And so they were at the kind of a crossroads where it's like, we're going to go out of business. So they needed to find somebody to buy them. And so that's what ended up happening. And then things kind of were good for about a year. You know, we, they, everyone got a big influx of money and then things just went to hell. So, <laughs> oh, no. so wait, yeah. they, they needed someone to buy them because they just were 
growing too too fast and they need no to- no 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 i mean it's just like you know the story of like you know the visual effects industry and it's like yeah. beast and famine right and i mean it's just it's impossible really i mean it's probably easier now to survive as a mid-sized vfx studio um but i mean back then everybody was going out of business because you were either a one to five man shop and your overhead was very low or you were ilm or dd and you had all the infrastructure in place to handle you know two thousand shots and yeah. then what do all these studios do that are doing like three to 500 shot shows that are being distributed amongst other you know vendors that are also doing the same amount so i mean it was tough right it's a tough business it's a tough business so i think they were just struggling with the same thing that everybody else was and so this was the only option to kind of keep things alive or just like lay everybody off i guess you know (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, you say people that they got like big checks and then a year later. It all went to <laughs> well, I don't know if everybody did, but I mean, it, it seems like, you know, hey, everybody, let's party, you know, and then <laughs> the reality of the situation kind of set in. And I mean, what did it for me is this was like right around when Avatar was just starting production. I got to go down there and they were just starting pre-production on like, sorry, pre-production on the post of Avatar. And I was looking at just like all the stereo stuff that needed to be done and all the stereo fixes. And it's just like, yeah, we're basically just going to lock people in a, you know, a container with <laughs> a bunch of computers and we're going to be fixing all the stereo issues on all these shots. And I'm just like looking at myself and I'm like, is this what I really want to be doing with my life? Yeah, you know, and you I started that, looking, uh, yeah. yeah. The enormity of the task and the fact that it's like, you know, it's, it's not really the reason you came into the business in the first place, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it, to be fixing, you know, camera problems and, you know, fixing RGB alignments on shots all day. <laughs> right. Just like, good God, you and know. You see the theater and you see your, your name on it and people are like, what did you do on this? I'm like, yeah, you know, you, you see those colors, how they work really well. They're like, yeah, that's uh expected or we didn't really see that or (laughs) (laughs) well this is the thing like you know i have such this love-hate relationship with just like high-end visual effects i mean like it's insane what happens now i mean like you look at like there's like what a marvel movie or two a year and now there's a star wars movie every year yeah and every one of those shows is you know three to twenty five hundred to three thousand shots and it's starting to look so homogenous, you know, across, you know, all of these movies and all of these pictures. And that's probably, you know, this is a deeper discussion about like filmmaking in general and why why those are the kind of movies that are coming out. But I mean, it's just like, it's insane what, what is possible now. I mean, compared to like when I started back in the day, like when we started, we were still doing film outs. Like when we needed to see our, our shots, at full resolution, we were literally getting film printed and sent back to us and then no renting out a movie theater. Yeah. And they would play that film on loop so we could Which, actually view it. Well, what is it? What is a film that you worked on back then that used the, the, the um, I think, uh, I remember Paycheck. It was like a Ben Affleck film. Yeah, there I remember was also that one. Yeah. Scooby-Doo 2, The Monster Returns yeah. or whatever it is, the one with the tar monster in it. Um, yeah. So this is like, uh, early 2000s, you know, that this wow. was still happening. So I was there, you know, when I started, it was like literally like they would, it was, it was crazy. It's like, I remember on Catwoman, they actually sent us color graded film. So like, rather than giving us like a grade or a lookup table or, or a LUT or whatever, we would actually get, here's the piece of film that's being printed. <laughs> wow. We would look at that with like a loop and then like on a light table and then look at our monitors and be like, you know, and like, oh, I think I think it needs a little more red or whatever, right? It was ridiculous. It was like, like it was insane. 
Here you go. Just wash your hand before you grab it because you know, it, might, it might affect the entire process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good God. Yeah. And I mean, we were doing like dust busting, like and dust busting was a big thing because you were scanning film, right? You wow. Know? Yeah. So there'd be dust on the film. We had to paint all that out by hand on every frame, you know? Oh, so that man. was like, yeah, that was, that was the good old days. And now I was there from that all the way to like digital, like I, we worked on Superman returns and I remember they were using this like Sony Genesis camera and it was such a big deal because it was like, you know, one of the first like digital film cameras. Right. Yeah. And, uh, like that, oh, I could talk for eight hours on that <laughs> that movie and break a bunch of NDAs, probably. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so like I was basically there from the tradi- like transition from film all the way into digital. With like you know, Journey 3D was like one of the first digitally captured 3D movies. Journey and, 3D is uh, the one with uh, the Rock. Uh, no, not The Rock. This was pre that. This was with Brendan Fraser. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, Brendan Fraser. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So that was a fun movie. And after that, um, I mean, then there was Avatar and that's like right around the time where I was just like, I'm out of this. So Avatar, you, did you stay on for Avatar or did you, did you move? No, no, I I moved out. Avatar was like your, (laughs) your exit. Yeah, well, sort of. Actually, it was one, the movie prior to that, it was G.I. Joe was actually the movie where I was just like, they wanted, they wanted 4K output for G.I. Joe. And it was just like, I was just like, yeah, I was just sighing, you know, it was just like, <laughs> why, why? Like it literally every sequence we were working on was just complete motion blur. And uh, it's like, are we, we're doing 4k motion blur for what, you know? Right. And it's just like, I, you could upscale it and it looks exactly the same, but no, oh, gotta, gotta be 4k. Gotta be native, that. native 4k. Oh, God. And it was just like, it just like those kind of ridiculous decisions and that, that may, that have repercussions throughout, you know, yeah. your entire pipeline. And I mean, we weren't working with like insane machines like you know having like a gig of ram was like a big deal you know having like a oh. you know 1.7 or 2 well, gigahertz processor was a big deal what year did know? the gi joe came out you know it was probably around 2008 2009 so this is wow. like 10 years ago yeah so i can't remember exactly where the the specs of machines were around then i think everyone just got a big bump at one point but i remember at one point before I was leaving, my computer at home was more powerful than what I was using at work. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, come on, what's going on here, guy? Yeah. But no, I, you know, it's, it's expensive. This is part of the problem, right? It's expensive to upgrade a hundred workstations to the latest and greatest, you know, and that's kind of like part of the problem. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember I, I went to Seagraph in 2006 and, uh, I was coming, uh, I was working at a small studio in Israel back then. And we had, a uh, we just finished, uh, uh, the work on like a TV series and we had this pipeline that we created and we were a small studio. So we were only, I, I don't know, like 20, 30 people in house and we were, you know, nowhere. We were from Tel Aviv. So not a lot, not a big VFX industry there, not a lot of competition. Everyone, you know, everybody who worked at our company was pretty much, uh, it was their first workplace in, in, in the industry. And, uh, we kind of made it up as we went and, uh, we, we were sure that the entire, you know, VFX community outside of Israel is like, you know, light years ahead of us. So we <laughs> came and we were like very humbled and, and, you know, and like kind of put out like this display of our, of our, um, pipeline expecting everybody to kind of laugh at us. And then, you know, we actually had some people from, from, uh, DreamWorks and, uh, and, uh, Pixar and, and ILM kind of come by and, and, uh, really, you know, nod their heads They're like, Oh, I like what you guys did there. Oh, that's cool. You guys have this kind of integration and you guys have that. And I was like, you don't 
Like what, <laughs> yeah. how is that even possible? And I, and I guess it makes sense. Cause it's like, you know, they, they're moving, obviously they keep developing and I'm sure today they're mm-hmm. like, you know, definitely like years ahead of where we were back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it takes time. It's slower and we're, we were more agile and it was pretty mm-hmm. early. I mean, we started it in 2004 and like we were, you know, we were already two years into it in 2006 and we were very, you know, small crew, but we were moving, you know, fast. And if, yeah. if like, uh, you know, a new feature, wanted to implement a new feature, I didn't ask anyone for permission. I just like put it in and the moment, you know, yeah. it might've broken like 12, you know, 12 stations or whatever, like couldn't, you know, <laughs> couldn't continue working for like half an hour, but fine. You know, I just jumped from station to station and I, you know, uh, do a debugging, uh, round and, you know, within half an hour, you know, all those 12 people can go back to work and, you know, it's not a big deal uh, yeah. as it would be. Yeah, it's like, a bigger deal when you're working at a place like ILM, exactly. Oh, it's a totally. bigger boat to turn, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's something fun about about being a smaller house. And, and I clearly, I mean, definitely understand the, the, the danger in like growing too big, too fast. I actually have a friend who has a company who's literally now just like yesterday we spoke about the fact that he just got this big project and it's kind of like impossible to say no, but at the same time, he's like, ah, you want to, you know, I don't want to grow too much. I, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm going to take it, I'm going to have to, you know, get more stations and suddenly I'm going to be bound and, you know, with, with shackles yeah. and I won't be able to move. And, and that's going to be my entire life. Um, but luckily for him, he's also directing a feature at the same time, which is kind of okay. Well, you know, like you, you could have luckily more, for him. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> it, it, is, it is a lot of work. Yeah. And he's like, you know how it is. It's like, you know, when it rains, it pours like, you know, so yeah. I'm busy with the feature and then I'm getting this project that I could have, you know, would have been gladly, you know, gladly tackling like two years ago when I was still get, trying to get this feature done. But no, it's like all happening at the same time. Um, luckily for him, I mean that, you know, if it's like, uh, you know, uh, I mean, he, he's not, he doesn't, well, no, I mean, no, not luckily for him in any way. I'm thinking about it. It's, <laughs> it's like now you're, you're responsible both for this feature and for, you know, maybe a hundred people that are going to start working for you in a, in a week. Um, yeah, that's too much for me to handle. And that's like, you know, one of the reasons I'm a crew one, it's just, it's so much easier to just keep a, keep a lid on things and just stay small. And right. know, I think there's, there's something to be said for that. I mean, like, there's, there's people that have come up to me and been like, you know, when I was first starting a game trailer, it's like, why don't you hire like two or three people and you could become like the game trailer studio. And I probably pondered that for about 30 seconds before I was just like, no, why would I ever, ever want the stress of running a company on top of trying to do interesting work? It's just like, you know, what I really love is just sitting in front of a machine and messing around in After Effects. You know, why would I want to sit and deal with spreadsheets and HR problems and dealing with logistics of physical buildings and all that kind of crap? Like I've right. seen that when I worked in visual effects and it's just like, that is not for me. And I'm just so glad that, you know, the internet being what it is and just, you know, as long as you're relatively well connected, you can make a go of it literally from your basement where I am right now. Yeah. I mean, I, but it, it definitely, you know, it definitely takes, uh, those things that you just mentioned, like being connected and, and, and being, you know, internet savvy and, and, uh, in order to, to maintain that kind of work. I mean, I, I've, I'm kind of like you, I, I love, you know, working on my own computer and, and researching and doing those experiments and like, you know, the stuff that I did with mixed reality and now I'm doing something with uh, artificial intelligence. And, um, you know, those are things I'm, I'm very grateful to be able to like, you know, just hang out with myself pretty much and just, uh, not have to worry about, uh, you know, uh, caring for other people's, uh, 
you know, um, livelihoods, uh, you know, at the same time and, uh, you know, very agile. Well, I do have a wife and two kids that I need to keep, <laughs> keep things going for as well. But my wife's a teacher, so that helps keep things a little bit balanced as well. Oh, that's she has good. The benefits. What does she yeah, teach? So, uh, she teaches high school. She teaches, you know, geography, uh, French, oh, cool. and uh, social studies are what she's doing right now. So, yeah, she loves it. She loves being a teacher. It's a great, great job. And, yeah, so she gets the benefits and she has, like, the pension. Oh, and nice. I just kind of get to do what I'm doing, you know, with all that. I don't know those coattails, right? So it's it. a really good balance. It's a good balance. Yeah, it's great. Um, and yet, I mean, it seems like, I mean, I, I don't know, I, I, I'm not sure what the timeline is in terms of like things that you've done, but like, you know, since we've been in touch, you know, you did the, um, how long ago did you do the, um, uh, job simulator and, um, the, uh, that's a, fantastic. that was about two years or more now. Yeah. I think it was two years in like April or something like that. 2016 is when the vibe came out. Right. Yeah. So at least I think it was. So it's got, yeah, it's gotta be at least two years now. Right. It feels like it was close yesterday to me. Oh yeah, no, totally. <laughs> yeah, that feels like it wasn't that long ago. Time but flies. Years, yeah, it does. I think I did. I started it uh, last. Uh, well, about almost almost two years ago too. Like early 2017 is when I got into it. So I, I mean, you must have been a bit earlier. I mean, definitely you had you had to be because I followed your footsteps. Um, but then, um, yeah. I don't know. Time flies. Does seem like it was just yesterday. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but but you've had like a flow. It's it seemed like you have an inflow of of uh, game trailer projects since then. That you know, um, so you've kept busy. I oh yeah, totally. I mean, like I've been doing game trailer stuff um, since like early twenty eleven ish is kind of when I started. But like I was working another job at the same time, right? And sort of doing game trailers on the side is working like a I would. Like I ran a computer training lab and did oh, like workshop courses and after break classes. Yeah, it didn't. It was I did that for a couple of years and uh, was sort of doing that and just managing game trailers on the side. And then we had our first child, you know, and mm. so like trying to balance all three of those things. And basically, after I think it was about three years went by of sort of doing both, it kind of got to the point where I'm just like, you know, like I talked to my the guy I work with Kevin. It's just like Kevin, you know, I kind of want to just you know, step back from the training stuff a bit and just see if I put the gas to, you know, gas down a little bit harder on the game trailers and see what happens. So I did that. So I kind of scaled back my work with them and scaled up my game trailer work. And then after a year of that, it was just like, I can't do all this at the same time. Because also I was having our second kid was coming around at that point oh. as well. So it was just like, what something's got to give here. I mean, between being a dad, you know, of two young kids and, you know, doing freelance game trailers and working another job in a training lab, it was just getting to be way, way too much. So I had to say no to something. It's like, I can't stop being a dad, <laughs> you know, and I can't stop, you know, I didn't want to stop doing game trailers because that's obviously where the future was. So I just said, yeah, let's do this. And so then after it just kept rolling and scaling up and just, you know, um, getting more and more projects. How, how does the game trailer world kind of uh, um, support game trailer uh, production? Let's say, I mean, uh, I guess it's a, it's a weird question, but um you know, I know when you make a film, for instance, um, let's say you 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 have a new film coming out as a director, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's a, a well-oiled machine that kind of like starts to kick yeah. into play and there's like with managers and agents reaching out to you oh, and yeah. like, what's your next thing? Let's you know, let's have you meet everyone in the world pretty much and like uh, <laughs> pitch whatever it is that you're working on next because, you know, we want, we know there's, you know, there's 
market potential here. We're going to definitely like milk you to the end of, of the world and, and make sure you, uh, we extract every little, you know, cent of, 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 of money we can from you and, and stuff. And is, is there a similar machine for game trailers or is it mostly you kind of just pushing yourself and trying to submit your things to, to conferences and stuff like that? Yeah, no, there's, there's no machine at all, which is part of the, you know, appeal of it. <laughs> I mean, like, so I like, there's kind of two tiers of sort of games, you know, there's like triple A games, like your Call of Duties, your like Red Dead Redemption, you know, your Halos, your like ginormous games of $300 million budgets, right? Yes. You know, and that, that kind of stuff I don't deal with. I mean, that is just one realm of gaming and like mobile gaming, like, you know, slot machine, mobile gaming, just garbage stuff, you know, like I don't deal with any of that. So, I'm just very, very fortunate that I deal with mainly like indie game creators. So hmm. like teams of like, you know, two to like 10, you know, sometimes maybe 15 people. So sort of like that really, really small to very small mid tier ish kind of uh, game developer. And usually they're either working with a publisher um, or they're just 100% completely independent. And so it's literally just me working directly with the developers or me working with the developers with a publisher. Gotcha. Um, and, and it's so much better. I mean, because it's literally like when you're doing a trailer, you always need like custom builds of the games to like record gameplay footage in a certain way. Yeah. And it's just like, if you're able to just talk to the developer and just be like, dude, can you get me like X, Y, and Z in this build? Because I need to do A, B, and C. They're just like, sure. And then you wait till the next day and you get your custom build and you're off to the races. Right? Yeah. And yeah, the same thing goes with like the VR stuff, you know, like, I've, like all the VR trailers that I've done, they don't have, the ability to like have a third person camera and shoot an avatar by default, all that needs to get added in. And so I have to work with the developers on the best way to do that for that specific game and integrate whatever features there are. And I mean, if there was middlemen and publishers and agents and all that crap involved, I mean, the process would be a nightmare, right? Oh yeah. So yeah, I'm really lucky that I basically just avoid all of that by dealing with smaller teams. And when you, know, when you do work uh, collaboratively with their uh, developers, like what, what's the level of, of input that you give is, is, is it mainly like, okay, so for this shot, we need to have this thing involved in like, can you guys figure it out? Or do you, do you have any programming experience or any, uh, anything? Yeah. Like I, that's part of the reason I'm able to work with developers so well is because like I used to do programming. I mean, I made, this is going to date me, but I made games on like my old Mac back in Pascal, Wow, you know, and that was a viable programming language. <laughs> yeah. So this is like, you know, going back to like the nineties and stuff. So I, I, I remember mean, that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I like, I can, I understand how games are made. It's like, I've used unity. Like I, I've never made a game myself. I don't have that kind of skill. Um, but it's just like, I get the process yeah. and I completely understand what's possible and what would take more work and what's out of scope and what's within scope. So it, that makes things like so much easier because I can talk to a developer in the same language that they're used to communicating. Right? So it's, it's interesting. It's in a way, um, you know, you create, you, you research and develop for every project with new, with, with new partners and stuff. And like, you figure out what what it is that they have and what, what they don't and what, what's needed for the, for the trailer. But at the same time, it's, it's all with like a, um, a creative hat on with like, you know, okay. Mm -hmm. And, and a storyteller's hat. I think that's one of the things that I've, uh, that, that impressed me when I saw your, uh, you know, you wrote very, very like in-depth descriptions of, of the technical kind of steps and, uh, and processes you had to go through in your first mixed reality stuff. But like at the bottom line, it was, uh, the kind of, 
you never lost sight of of the final goal, which is to tell the story about you know of, of right. how fun it is to play this game and like to be, you know, you were looking for the shots you needed and and found the technical resolution for those, and you weren't kind of distracted by the technicality of it or or, or like you know uh, sidetracked by it. Um, and I, I kind of like, this is kind of where my podcast is trying to focus. Um, I know it's hard. It's, it's really just kind of a conversation and, and, uh, yeah. but the thing, um, that I find that is in common with people that I speak to is, is the fact that they are, um, both kind of technical aficionados, uh, and, and, um, people who love, um, solving problems. And at the same mm-hmm. time, people who, you know, came from with, with a passion for film, uh, for, for filmmaking, storytelling, whether it's, you know, in film or, or any other medium or, or, um, game designers or virtual, uh, virtual reality, uh, creators or, um, what have you, but, but they all, you know, seem to, to have kind of started out, uh, with this passion for storytelling and, and for the craft of storytelling in, in one way or another. Uh, and you never, uh, studied animation or visual effects, have you? Well, I mean, the eight years I spent in the VFX industry kind of gave me the knowledge I needed there, right? right? But no, I never went to like film school or any of that crap or, you know, I call it crap, (laughs) you know, any of that stuff, I should say. But um, I've read tons of books. I mean, like, and I mean, I don't know if you follow like Stu Machowitz on Twitter, but he had this great book called like the DV Rebels Guide. And it was about... um, DV Rebels? yeah, DV Rebel. Like this was back when, like, oh, what was that camera? Like mini the, DVs the and yeah, ones. like mini DV. There was I can't remember which Canon camera it was, but there was a mini DV camera that shot at twenty four frames a second, and that was like this huge deal. <laughs> and uh, so, like, everyone was using these crappy mini DV cameras to like shoot their movies because it was the only digital camera that would shoot at twenty four frames a second. Anyway, so he wrote this book on basically how to shoot like an action movie with these cameras and the way to do it cheap and the way to cut corners and do stuff in after effects. And just reading through that whole book, it basically gave you like a really good, like sort of shorthand. It's like, this is how a film is constructed. And this is, you know, like, you know, what you need to do to make a film. And I never had any aspirations to be like a director or anything like that. But I mean, you need to know how to tell a story. And I mean, like that's been written about to the nth degree and you can Google it till your eyes bleed, right. you know? So it's just like trying to absorb all that information. And now with the game trailers, I finally like have an output for it that makes sense. Right. Like I'm never going to go make a movie. I don't ever want to be involved in a production of that scale. Cause it's just so insane, <laughs> but like game trailers are great because literally you're telling like these minute and a half long stories. Yeah. They have a beginning, a middle and an end and every game's different and every game needs something just slightly, you know, different for it. You know, there's, you can't really apply the same template to every right. game. And, uh, and that's really fun. And it's great because it's like, you get to make, it's like making short films, but as a trailer for games. You know? <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation where you, you were approached by a game designer? I mean, I mean I'm sure it, it would be kind of tricky to, to answer that question, but like uh, the game didn't talk to you. <laughs> the game was like, uh, that's kind of boring or, or something like that. Or, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That happens all the time. I mean, like there's, there's games that, like I get, I used to get more emails than I do now, <laughs> uh, you know, about, you know, Hey, here's my, the new game I'm working on. And I can't check out the page. And I'm just like, this is just garbage. <laughs> this is awful. Like, you know, it's like, well, you look at it. And I mean, there's like what, 400 games a week being released on just like, Steam, right. 
let alone like iOS or the app store. It's it's literally an endless fire hose of content being fired out there. And not every one of those is going to be a golden nugget, you know? And so people are spending all this time and all this money and all this energy on games. And I mean, I'm sure maybe it's, maybe their first 10 games are going to be garbage, but maybe the 11th one is going to be good, you know? And so like, I just, you know, I get these emails and I politely decline and, you know, and then just move on and just wait for the next. So you don't, you won't do uh, a trailer for a game that you don't believe in. Essentially. No, because yeah, I'm very, very fortunate that, that I'm able to do that. You know, yeah. I don't have to say yes to a lot of stuff I don't like. So every now and then something will come along where it's like, yeah, I'm not totally into this, but there's something neat we can do here. So then I'll say, yeah, and we'll, we'll figure out a way to make it work. Right? Gotcha. And people reach out to you based on uh, familiarity with your other trailers or how do they, how do they find out about it? Yeah, that? well... Yeah, just, you know, Google, you know, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm really lucky that I sort of like started doing this so long ago that it's like my name and game trailers are kind of like, you know, or indie game trailers yeah. rather are kind of like they're very associated. And I've worked with a lot of developers over time who have like recommended me to other developers and stuff. And that's kind of how it's been going. And um, basically like what happened, just like full disclosure. I mean, um, I think how many years ago is this now? It was towards the beginning, maybe about five or six years ago or so. Wow. Um, so, I, this, it's not, yeah, this like is not a, that much time, but it, you know, you, 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 you bring it up as if it was like a, a 10, you know, a decade or two ago. Well, because it does feel like it's, it's, well, this is the thing, like indie games and the game industry changes so fast and it changes every year. There's like, you know, there's new consoles, there's new developers, there's the, there's the new hot game studio is this X right. instead of yes. Y, you know? So anyway, what I, what I was going to say, though, is the whole reason I'm able to do this is um, like five or six years ago, there's a publisher in the States called Devolver Digital, and they were just getting into publishing indie games, you know, back in like 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. And what happened is there was an indie uh, developer uh, named Rami Ismail who uh, runs Vlambeer, and I did a, a trailer for him for nothing uh, called for Super Crate Box. It was a special two-player version of Super Crate Box. And I did this visual effects thing where we composited the sprites into live-action footage, and it turned out really good. And anyway, so he was working with uh, one of the guys at Devolver, and recommended me. And so then I started working with Devolver and it kind of just started off as like, I was just doing like a contract kind of thing. You know, here's a, I've got like a little thing that needs to be done. Can you help me out? Yeah. Do this video or whatever. And now basically it's like, I'm on retainer with them. So I do all of the work for Devolver's, like almost all of their video work. And I do stuff for like social media too. So I work with them and what's really awesome about them is they give me the flexibility. It's like, yeah, if something else comes in and there's time, sure, go for it. But they kind of have the bat phone, right? Oh, good. It's like, hey, there's a trailer. You know, there's a game coming in. We need to work on this like next week. And I'm like, yep, yeah, sure, no problem. And then I kind of just figure out how to make everything balance out. So you still work with um, them now, nowadays here? Oh yeah, so, yeah. I I will work with them till the day I die if I can. <laughs> they're the best indie game publisher in the world. I wow, think. that's awesome. Um, yeah, no, they're really great. And so, uh, and just being able to have the flexibility of other doing other interesting things on the side as well. Is, so is were they there before you started doing um, game trailers as a freelancer? Uh, they were, but they basically like, um, the people that run Devolver were, have been involved in games like for decades. Right. right? So like they, under other like publishers and other, uh, other way, in other ways, like the main guy, Mike Wilson, he used to work at like id software, the guys that made doom. Yeah. Um, he was there, um, I think in a managerial capacity, I can't remember exactly what his role was, but so he worked from there. Then he made an, a one publisher, one publishing company that kind of fizzled and then uh devolver kind of like, they were doing serious Sam 
Uh, and back in the day, that was like a really, really huge franchise with a huge fan base. And it still is. Um, they just haven't released a new game. Yeah, I remember that. So they were doing that. And that kind of got them enough speed to try to like, okay, let's try getting a couple indie games in here and seeing what happens. And then they kind of uh, published one indie game called Hotline Miami, and that one really took off. And so that kind of started the ball rolling for the Devolver, and that's basically when I got involved. Like, I did some of the trailers for that game, and then we've just kind of been working together ever since. That's cool. And I, I kind of curious about um, what what's the what kind how did you trans how did you make that transition from you know you were in visual effects. Avatar was coming. You saw this big wave. You're like, I'm not staying on this beach. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going on, you know, to higher grounds, you know, to keep safe. Yeah. Um, and then there's a gap. And then you said you worked uh, in in the training lab, and then you started doing uh, yeah. uh, uh, game trailers. Or how did that? All yeah, yeah. Happen? Yeah, it, it was kind of rocky. <laughs> so, like, basically what happened, it's like I was working in visual effects at Frantic, and I was just like, I just I, I just need another job. Like, I don't even care what I'm doing. I will mop floors. <laughs> you know, like, like honestly, I was just that. There's nothing bad right? about that. I mean, uh, you can be really, really good oh, at I that. Oh, I know. I mean, you can make a career out of that. Yeah, no, totally. Like, not like you know, hats off to everybody doing that that work. It's It's, you can... You can do it. <laughs> you know, it's not for me, but like, like seriously, I was just so just like mentally and just like, just mentally right. done with the film industry and just the way it's run. Right. So yeah, I was literally going to take any job, but fortunately uh, there's this company, I should I say, fortunately, <laughs> it didn't end up that well. But anyway, there's this company in the city here in Winnipeg yeah. uh, that does HVAC. They, they do like diffusers and vents and like ventilation systems and for whatever reason, this company had like a media division within <laughs> it to create like product videos for their like vents wow. and stuff. And so, yeah, it was insane. And they did like all the print stuff and all like the brochures and, you know, there's a million things. That right. They could of do. course. And so I'm just like, yeah, sure. Whatever. HVAC. I'm in. <laughs> you know, so I go and I work at this company and the, the worst, like I probably would have lasted longer um, if the company wasn't like, you know, an hour drive away from me, you know, and it was like rush hour traffic and I had to be there at like eight in the morning or some ungodly oh, wow. hour, which means leaving my house at like seven. It was just, well, stupid, you and you and right? all the so, other, you know, uh, vacuum, uh, uh, engineers that need to, you know, come to work. <laughs> oh, it was stupid. It was just, it was brutal. So like that, that was the worst part of it. And then just on top of that, it was just like, I'm dealing with HVAC. Like, I'm like, I can be passionate about HVAC. It's a choice. I can choose what to be passionate about. It's but almost no, it's just Superman <laughs> Returns. It's not the same. Oh, no, it's, it's not exactly the same. But I mean, like, God. So anyway, I did that job for three months. And I, I was just like, after three months, I'm just like, I, I gave it my all. I just can't do this anymore. So what I actually did is I went back to Frantic Films. Um, but they had a commercial division. So rather than working in visual effects, I was working in the commercial department um, with a, it's a different group of people, different, you know, it was mainly like local TV stuff, you know, some like TV shows, like TV intros, bumpers, you know, things like that, much lower end work yeah. and much lower stress. Um, but I, I just, I didn't want to be back in that same building. <laughs> you know, I was just like, it was just like one door over, you know? And I'm like, I could still see like all the avatar dailies coming through and I'm just like, Oh God. I'm like, ah, ah, that shot's really neat. Maybe I could, ah, no, what am no, I thinking? No, what am I doing? Get in no, 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 don't do it. Right. <laughs> so it's just like, it's that, that tent just dangling the fruit in front of yeah. you. Right? 
So anyway, I do that job and I'm there for about like eight months and I'm sort of talking to like other people in the city, you know, just like other people in like other companies. I'm just like, I'm just like, just not happy. I'm just like, I just need something different. I want to try something else. And my friend Kevin, uh, who basically has been ran like a nonprofit in the city called New Media Manitoba. And what it is, is it's like a nonprofit that sort of supports other digital media companies in the city. And so they, you know, talk to government and they get like, you know, oh, here's like some grants that you can apply to, to get like this and this tax credit or whatever. And we run these training programs and they did like, they were born out of like a Macintosh users group, you know, so they would get together every month and they would do like, Hey, here's a new piece of software. Let's show everybody how this works, you know, and you know, like 50 people would show up or whatever. And eventually he kind of turned this into like this organization, you know, like, a real nonprofit with like government support and we had like all this paperwork to do here's how many training sessions he did how many people here's the outcomes and blah 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 you reapply for money every year and they give you a couple hundred thousand dollars to like run all these training courses and stuff and so he was talking this is like i want to open up an apple authorized training center in winnipeg and i need somebody to do it and i'm just like hmm, okay you know I, I could probably do that and i'm like can i teach classes and he's like sure so I'm like, okay. And they're like, why don't we make it an Adobe authorized training center too? He's like, great, let's do it. So then that started. So I kind of like slowly phased out of the commercial division and I started working at this training center, basically not doing any graphics or video work at all. And it was literally just like tons of paperwork uh, sitting at home um, and just figuring out how to get this training lab going. And this is kind of like the way that organization was structured is that it was all like, you know, you just work remotely, you work from your home. And having that was like a hard cut because it's just like going from, you know, the past like 15 years or whatever of working like desk jobs and like going to an office and, you know, expected to be in your seat to all of a sudden just like you're working from home. And it's like, if you want to go get groceries in the middle of the day, it's like, yeah, that's cool. You know, that it it felt like cheating for like (laughs) six months. You know, it's just like for literally for like the first few weeks, I would just sit in my desk because I felt like that's what I was supposed to do, right? Because that's what I've been like, quote unquote, trained to do for so long. But yeah, no, you don't have to do that. So I could go work, you know, in a cafe or whatever, if I wanted to, or I could bring the laptop outside and sit in a hammock, you know, and just like, getting into that kind of routine, after working like regular jobs for like the better part of my life, I was, it was so weird. It was so, yeah. So and weird. then there's the flip side um, of that. When you get too used to going and doing groceries in the middle of the day and you realize, you know, you, you should be sitting at your desk a little bit more maybe, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've been very fortunate that I'm pretty disciplined in that way. And I mean, like I don't like so having worked regular jobs, you know, for so long, I don't take any of this for granted. Yes. You know, like the fact that, you know, like three days a week, I can go to the gym in the morning after dropping my kid off at grade one, you know, and then oh, it's like, today's a light day. I might as well get some groceries, clean the kitchen. Okay. I'll go down in the afternoon and do my yeah. work. You know, it's just like, God, I don't take any of that for granted because I know at any moment, you know, the game industry could explode and all of a sudden I got to get a real job again. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm careful to make sure that I get everything. I don't know done if it's that, sure that volatile nowadays. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> One of the the highest, uh, you know, grossing like. uh, Oh, I know, I know. know. It surpassed the film industry. Yeah, I know, I know. But what I'm saying is, I don't, I don't take it for granted. So yeah, basically, like as I was working this um, training job and like working at the training center and doing all this stuff, um, it gave me the flexibility to kind of like just like meet new people because when you're in visual effects, you're like working 12 hour days, you know, 80 to 100 hour weeks during crunch, and it's ridiculous, right? 
So um, I started to meet other people, which was amazing. And I like met an indie game developer in the city named Alec Kaloka. And he introduced me to some other people. Um, and he's like made a game called Aquaria that was very successful. So he was like living off of the, the proceeds from that. And I was just like, I didn't even understand like how that all worked. Like that just seemed like it was like this magical idea. And he's like, no, there's all these people doing this. You know, they, they made this game. And I'm just like, like, it, it, like having working normal jobs to seeing like people that are completely financially independent and doing creative stuff. Like I, it just didn't make any sense yeah. to me. So over the, you know, I worked with him and just sort of got to know him and we hung out and became friends. And he started introducing me to other people that were sort of doing this. And slowly I started to like understand this picture of what indie games were and what indie game development was. And this is like pre the giant games like Fez and Braid and like, you know, Super Meat Boy and all those games that kind of really put indie games yeah. in the forefront. And uh, so, yeah, I started working with him. And basically what happened was, is to make a long story short, um, we made an indie game arcade cabinet called the Winitron 1000, you know, because we're in Winnipeg. <laughs> and we put some, we got this exclusive two-player version of Cannibalt, which was like this really hit iOS game at the time, back when like indie games could like, you know, make it to the top 10, you know, and it wasn't all just like Clash of Clans and crap like yeah. that, right? So anyway, so like, um, we got this special version of it. And we we're basically like, hey, we're gonna announce this thing at this like chiptune party that was happening, we should make a trailer for it. <laughs> so I made this trailer, like, and I composited like the sprites of the game of like the little guy running across the rooftops of Winnipeg, and you know, minus 20 degree below weather. And we put it up on the internet. And my friend just like, since he had some context, he emails Kotaku, which was one of the yeah, bigger sites back then. He's like, Hey, look at this cool thing we made. And it kind of went quote unquote mm -hmm. viral. I mean, it didn't get like millions of views, but it got in like the, I think tens to hundreds of thousands wow. of views. And at that point, nobody had seen like an indie game trailer with either that kind of visual effects quality or just that that was that good. Like indie game people were making games. They weren't good at making trailers and that's like a completely different skill set. So they were like, Whoa, what's this thing? This looks really neat. Yeah. Right. And that got a bunch of attention and that slowly is what got the ball rolling. And then. And when kind of you say no one, that. no one has ever seen you, you're talking mainly about the actual game developer community. Cause I'm sure people who, you yeah. know, people who are not from the community might just assume it's, it's just a regular game. So it has a regular game trailer or I mean, regular by that, I mean like what they're used to seeing, which is the triple A titles yeah. or whatever. But in the game yeah. development com com communities, they know the you know the realities of you know of, of budgets and and how much those things cost to make. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. So that's kind of like you know by working with Adam, you know, there, and then eventually working with Rami on a trailer for his game. And little did I know at the time, but they were two like they're now obviously like two of the most influential like you know game developers out there you know they have like zillions of people that follow them and especially rami and so being able to be involved with those two people and alec of course you know who, who just came, like he came out with a game called night in the woods that did extremely well and has a massive fan nice alec is alec is and so the like these did the uh the game cabinet with the arcade cabinet yeah yeah the same guy yeah and so like it, it, i was just extremely extremely fortunate just to be in the right place at the right time and be introduced to the right people and 
it just all kind of fell into place. It's just like one of those magical things where the stars just align <laughs> and it'll never it's happen actually, again. Yeah, and it's it was, I mean, you know? I was actually going to ask, cause I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you can say you're extremely fortunate, but it's, it seems like there's a pattern going on, uh, outside of, of the opportunities that you got, which is like you, you know, the thing that attracts you is those challenges. I mean, you wouldn't just go out there and make a, an arcade cabinet in what is it? 2000 and I guess, you know, five or something at the time or, or that was, no, that, no, that was 2010. 2010 even, yeah. 2010, like, even, even more so, you know, it's like, it, you know, people just don't go out yeah. and do it. It's not something that people do on a regular basis, but you do it because I think, you know, I'm, I'm guessing it's, um, it's a challenge that, that, uh, attracts you and a novelty of it, you know, in 2010 to make, yeah, uh, exactly. to make an arcade cabinet to tell yourself, I, I was able to do this and I figured it out. And I, you know, um, I don't even know how I would go about, I mean, there's this one arcade game that I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm obsessed with called uh, ice cold beer. Do you know that one by Taito? It's one. a, <laughs> um, it's a physical, uh, arcade game. It's, it's kind of, it seems it, it reminds me of labyrinth, you know, with the, with the ball and the holes that you need to like, um, uh, kind of guide. Oh, I just Googled it. Yeah. You move the thing up and the, there's yeah, exactly. holes in so it. It's kind of like a vertical version of that you know, where this is like, there's an indie game called tumble seed that is based on really? this game. And it's, it, yeah, it's available on the switch. And I think tumble PC, seed. Yeah. It's exactly this game. Yeah. It's called tumble seed. Yeah. Yeah, you should check it out. You'd probably love it. If you uh, love yeah, this game. I mean, I'm really good at this game too. I, I you know, I'm amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you would love Tumble oh, Seed. Then. Yeah, you should I'm check it out right now. Oh, it look, looks so cool. Oh, totally, I'm totally gonna check it out. So I actually made a yeah. uh, Unity based version of that game for my uh, for for uh, for mobile. Um, but it's oh, nice. you know, it's just as a uh, it was I was training myself kind of teaching myself how to use unity to make games and that's that was the idea that came to mind because I, I remember playing uh the physical game and i was like hey, it'd be cool to make something like that so i see people have already taken it to this to the next step with an entire no, yeah that's great that's great I'm, I'm glad to see it i mean it's i'm i'm not you know not giving up on my world domination uh dreams uh, with uh, my other games but uh, <laughs> uh, uh it's really awesome yeah. Anyway, so uh, uh, yeah, in arcade games, uh, there's a, an arc, a barcade that's uh, that I started going to in around my neighborhood um, called Button Mash. So I, I got kind of uh, back into the the craze of uh, of arcade uh, cabinets. It's, uh, it's really cool. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, like that was part of my childhood, yeah. right? And so that's kind of what what made me want to get involved with helping out with the Winitron, you know, and just. Yeah, it's like I it's funny because it's like, you know, I was talking to one of my friends just the other day and it's just like, you know, if it wasn't for like this group of like five of us that put together that arcade cabinet and like these three people that I worked with to make these initial game trailers. I mean, like it, it's just it's funny like just looking back on it like how perfectly aligned all the stars were to like make that happen. And I mean, like it, it all the other people involved have gone on to do like other awesome things as well. I mean, and it's just, it's so great. It was like a really, really great sort of magical moment in time when this all started. And it's like allowed me just like the flexibility. What did you, what did you do on the, on the Winnie, Winnie Tron? Is it Winnie Tron? Well, <laughs> yeah, the Winitron. Yeah. Like basically like I, I did the trailers for all the games that we would put on it, like all the big games anyway. And we did okay. three of those um, before we kind of stopped. And I also helped like, uh, I was the only one with a car. <laughs> so I was like, we were shuffling around to like all the arcade graveyards in the city. It's like, oh, maybe we could use this cabinet. 
And, you know, I threw a bunch of my own money into it. It's like, okay, I'll buy us a PC. I'll buy us an old four by three monitor and, you know, I'll buy the acrylic for the front uh. and all that. Cause everybody else was like dirt poor as well. So I'm just like, yeah, I don't mind throwing a couple hundred bucks at this thing, whatever, you know, for me, it wasn't a big deal. Right. So I helped with that and then helped put the thing together and then help move it. Cause every time it would go to a different show, it went to like art galleries with a guy, like a game developer in Winnipeg actually took it in a U-Haul all the way from Winnipeg to San Francisco for the game developers conference. Like, uh-huh. back. Wow. and it's just like it's been all That's over crazy. the world yeah like and when it was down there like the guy that made minecraft like played it and jonathan blow that made like braid and a bunch of other big games he played it and it was like it was like this internet celebrity uh-huh. for a while and then it kind of just like faded in that's so house. funny i actually uh, uh one of my recent uh talks uh for the podcast was with uh, a guy that's uh, writing the new uh minecraft movie <laughs> oh <laughs> so crazy that's a lot yes. of pressure. Yes, he's under a lot of pressure. <laughs> and he's also attached to direct uh, the new Masters of the Universe uh, franchise. Oh, my Lord. God. Yeah. Uh, and he also is a visual effects artist originally, you know. Um, oh, yeah, that's like an cool. after effects. He taught himself, uh, self-taught and stuff, and uh, now he's doing this. Oh, that's awesome. That's more stress than I'd ever <laughs> want to deal with, but good on him for doing it. <laughs> yeah, but that's cool. And and the game the game itself, the Winitron, was it uh what was the platform? It was on was on a, on a PC or something that was connected to Yeah, yeah. It was basically just like an arcade cabinet with a PC inside of it running right, Unity, yeah. uh, which acted as like a front end for a launcher that would just launch executables. And then it, we had like this hacky hacky system where hitting a, a, a home button on the front of the cabinet would quit the game and the launcher back up and it was it was all hacked together like very very hacked, gotcha. hacked, hacked together um but it worked and i mean what was cool about it is people saw this and then people started wanting to make their own winatrons and so they wouldn't like there was a winatron in like australia and uh in, uh and they call it the winistron or not, not the ostatron or no they changed the name no they changed the name the when it was like the winatron oh. au and then there was the philatron <laughs> and then they were all over. There was like one in Tokyo. There was like, they were all over the world for a little while. Um, and basically what the problem was is the software that we made was not meant to like expand to other places and people wanted to do other things with the software that was never designed to do. It was just meant yeah. to launch games. Everything was hard coded, you know? And it was just like, so we kind of were like, Hey, we should maybe turn this into a thing and just like right. make it yeah. better. But the, the people that like originally made all the software were just kind of like, eh, you know, like this isn't what I wanted to do for every yeah. day for my life. Right. I want to make games. I want to do other things. And so it kind of just faded away. But fortunately, like in the last like two years or so, another group has kind of like picked it up and rebuilt the entire launcher system from scratch. It's got this awesome like web back end for like adding your own games and stuff. It's what oh, we always cool. envisioned it to be. So someone kind of picked up the ball and ran with it. And it's great. Like we all just completely support it here. This is the new thing. This everybody use this. So, but it obviously doesn't have the same novelty factor as it did. Like, right. But I think the the interesting thing is like, you know, that you say you were fortunate, but like, it's, it's a, it's also, it requires, you know, just being open to, to joining a a group like that and saying, yeah, you know, I'll do it. You know, I mean, it's one thing to have the time and maybe who, who knows if you had the time or not, you know, sometimes just take on projects because, yeah, I didn't have kids back then, so I did have the time. <laughs> so today you say you you basically say yeah. today it wouldn't have happened potentially, or oh, it, 
you know, if someone came to me to, and if the Winitron had not happened and someone came to me today and said, we're building an indie game arcade cabinet, do you want to help out? I would say definitely <laughs> yes. But my involvement would have to be a little bit more limited, right. probably, just because I've got the logistics of two children to deal with as well. Right? Do you think there's something, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, something that connects the fact that you, you know, um, you became an instructor um, and then you started doing video game trailers um, and uh, like, is, is there something, did you feel like fulfilled by sharing, you know, experience with others? Oh yeah. I mean, I love it. That's part of the reason why I like post all that stuff online, you know, like all the mixed reality stuff and all the avatar based trailers stuff I do. I try to like share as much as I can, you know, and the thing that I, I can't remember where I read this and I'm like, totally butchering the way this was said, but it's like the more you share, the more that comes back to you, sort of the more you put out, the more you get kind of thing. And I find that's totally true. And people are like, Oh, you're giving away all your secrets. And I'm just like, this is not a secret. Anybody <laughs> can figure this stuff out. You know, like the, the real like sort of secret sauce of making a good trailer is like not the technical stuff. It's more of the artistic side and, you know, having, being able to see what looks good and what, what flows well together and just making something yeah. that flows. And from what I can see, I mean, like to this day, there's, you know, thousands of bad game trailers released every month still. I mean, like I can put out this information for the end of time and people yeah. still don't follow it, you know? And, and so there's, that's, that's the part that's valuable. Like having the experience of having done a bunch of these and knowing about storytelling and having the background that I have and like film and visual effects and being able to bring that all together and that's unique. So I feel, what to what me. do you get back? Other like, I mean, if, if, if somebody were to ask you, I mean, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I, I love sharing, you know, my knowledge as you know, you know, you read my um, articles too. And uh, I'm actually coming up with a new one about mixed reality as well, which is why, I mean, I, I reached out to you again, um, mm -hmm. which is just kind of like to, for me, it's just to sum up my experience and to like, kind of, uh, you know, put it out there as kind of like, so I can read, read back, you know, five years from now or 10 years from now. Cause, cause who knows when's mm -hmm. the next time I'm going to be doing mixed reality. And I just kind of wanted to, to document that. But like, what, uh, what is the, um, you know, what are the pros on your end? Like when you say, like you, you put it out there or when you share, you, you get back from that. What, what did you get back? Well, you know, like something like this podcast oh, yeah. is, a, you know, one of those things like you wouldn't have found me unless I would have put that True. information out there. Right. So, I mean, like there's, there's that, I mean, like there's a direct correlation between, you know, you put yourself out there and you put all these articles out and they get linked and people will sort of organically find you that way. Um, but I mean, also I totally agree with what you're saying. It's just like, you know, being able to look back on it, be like, wow, that was a thing I did. Holy crap. You know, <laughs> you know, it's right. really neat too. And I mean, like I use, I have a blog that I think my, my GoDaddy account is expiring in October. So I'm just letting all that evaporate, but it's just like where I used after every trailer, I would do like, Oh, here's a breakdown of how I did this trailer. But I mean, I had the time to do it back then. I just don't have the, you know, the hours to be able to devote to writing and making right. all the gifts and getting all the behind the screen screen. So when's the last time you wrote a, a um, I just, blog post about uh, a job you did? Uh, well, I continually update the uh, uh, the avatar, uh, like the virtual cinematography uh, yeah. page that I have. Every time I knew I do a new VR trailer, I kind of, here's what we did for this specific trailer that's different than all the other ones. So now that page is, I think, like 500 megabytes worth of gifts <laughs> that you have to download. <laughs> I, should, I should really maybe split it up a little bit into two pages or something. But anyway, yeah, so like I, I that's easy because it's like, here's five paragraphs right. with four gifts, you know, and just put it up there. 
Um, so I've been trying to do that at least, you know, and I wish I had time to do more. There's actually another guy. Um, uh, his name is Derek Liu, and he is also a freelance indie game creator, and he doesn't have mm. two kids. <laughs> so basically, he has this awesome newsletter, and I recommend everybody subscribe to it. And uh, he basically just talks about trailers and game trailers, like movie trailers and game trailers. And he every week he has a new post uh, or like a new newsletter that comes in and it deals specifically with his stuff. And he is like, it's really great because it's like he, I, I, when I talked to him at GDC, I was like, you know, you're putting stuff that's in my brain actually on the internet and in words, you know, like that I just never really had the time to do. And so it's amazing. And it like his stuff, there's really, really insightful and like things that he's putting words to like concepts that I just, I've had in my head, but didn't know that there was like, Oh, this is actual filmmaking thing. I didn't know that was a thing. I've just been doing it because it felt good, you know? <laughs> and so that's really been neat to see. And so like, he's been doing what I wish I could do with, with my time. But so I'm just letting him that's run. Awesome. It. It's great. He's doing all the work. Check his stuff out. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he's and he's also got like he almost does a breakdown of every single trailer too. And there's one in particular that's just mind-boggling. Um, it's because the way the app store is now, uh, like the iOS app store at least, you know. And when you're dealing with multiple languages yeah. and multiple devices, then making a trailer for that. Literally, you're making one trailer, but you're not. You're making like 20 different mm -hmm. trailers because you're not only dealing with different devices at different aspect ratios that you have to create the trailers at the aspect ratio for the device. And then on top of that, you have different language splits. They all have to be localized in the local language too. So you're dealing with like this branching tree of trailers for this one game. And I'm just like, holy smokes. Like it, it was crazy for that one because I can't remember how many languages it was, but it was at least half a dozen. And it just increases the complexity of like, in, you know, yeah. that much more. Right. Yeah. You know, so you're doing six trailers for each device. And I think there's like four or five different devices that you right. have trailers for now. Right. So, I mean, yeah. is that something that he wrote about or, or like a case study and. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the posts. Yeah. It's like a case study on his site. It's, it's totally worth looking at. Yeah. It's really wow. amazing. And he does those for a lot of other games too. So it's great. I wish I had more time to do it, but you know, he's doing it. So. Oh, totally. <laughs> so, uh, and, and you're, uh, I mean, you're started, were you always kind of interested in, in storytelling and in film as a kid? Did you, uh, did you imagine yourself? Cause yeah. I'm, I'm guessing like your, your entry into the visual effects field is probably must've had something to do with that. Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, like, when I was a kid, I mean, it's like the dream job is like, I want to work at Nintendo and I want to work at ILM. <laughs> those are like the two things, right? And so I've never done either of those, but I feel that I've been able to, like, touch both of those things because, you know, working in, like, I didn't have to move to San Francisco and, you know, die by paying rent, you know, <laughs> you know, I could do it in Winnipeg and live right. reasonably and work at a studio here. I mean, it's not the exact same experience. You know, it would have been nice to maybe work on one Star Wars movie, but in the end, I don't think it would have been <laughs> worth it. <laughs> you know, I heard The Force Awakens was a bit of a cluster. Oh, yeah, episode. I didn't know that. Didn't <laughs> you know, know. Yeah. Oh. oh, well, just in general, I mean, like, that movie came in hot. I mean, like, they were working on shots up wow. until a week before the oh, Red Harbor premiere. 
I mean, it's crazy how close to the deadline things are now um, in visual effects. But in any case, you know, like I feel like I have I've gotten that experience by working at Frantic, and I never got to work at Nintendo, but I've been able to work on Nintendo games, like not Nintendo first party games, but games for like the Switch or whatever, and other interesting games, and work in the video game industry. So I really feel that I've been able to hit both of those things. And I mean, filmmaking and things like that have always been in the back of my, you know, back of my brain. And like, I used to do BMX videos. BMX with the bikes, you mean? The the bicycles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I used to do that when I was a teenager and, you know, just take out a camera with a big fisheye lens and film our friends. And every year I'd kind of put together like, here, here's this year's BMX video. And it was just kind of like, here's a bunch (laughs) of pictures of our friends and put it together to music. And it was all edited in After Effects and stuff. And this was back on like way way uh 100 wow. megahertz you know computer so back in after the day, effects yeah. you've you've been like early adopter after, after effects then yeah yeah i can't remember the first version but it was probably version two or three See, for, for me after effects came out of necessity because i started as in 3d i did like you know 3d studio 3d studio no yeah 3d studio not 3d studio max yeah <laughs> not yeah, max before max, that yeah. it was 3d studio 4 is like the, oh that like, okay yeah, yeah. Of, before it was ported to windows it was still on uh, ms dos um mm-hmm. and um and i only got to after effects like after i left uh the vfx company i worked in because uh, you know out of necessity because i i was i realized you know i started making film, like live action stuff at, at film school and i uh decided i'm going to do some visual effects and and uh embed them into the films and stuff and then i was like wait a second i can't do that with 3 studio max like i i need a compositing software now <laughs> and like yeah. then i basically just got a got started with that like later on which is funny um but um yeah, I guess um, I was kind of curious because, and were you always in uh, Winnipeg? Yeah, I've always, I grew up and and lived here. You know, it's it's funny when we went to when my wife and I went to go buy a house. It's just like ah, oh, like we were looking all over the city, and I ended up like five minutes away from where I grew up. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's actually it's a, it's great because my parents, you know, they oh, were able fantastic. to help with the kids and everything like that when things. Happen. Oh yeah, no. It's like I wouldn't have it any other way. It's so, just, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and this is the thing. Like, like I've been to San Francisco. I've been to Toronto. I've been to Vancouver. And for you know what I'm paying for my mortgage here and what I paid for my house ten years ago, I would be living in a closet, you know, with roommates in San Francisco or in a crappy condo right. in Vancouver. And like, I, you know, when you have kids, you know, I just like. It, it changes your perspective. Like I, I, if I was young and single in my twenties, sure, maybe I'd do that. But you know, I, I, I wouldn't change anything. You know, this city has fast <laughs> internet, <laughs> you know, and then that's all I really need, you know, and all my friends are here and it's, it's, why would I go anywhere different? Like I remember when the, like fantastic contraption trailer came around. I got like, you know, it's stupid. It's just like all these like people get in touch with you because, Oh, there's this new thing. And there's this guy. And so I was getting calls from like NVIDIA and Apple and YouTube. And it was just like, yeah, do you want to like come and live in Cupertino or live in San Francisco? I'm like, hell no. Like, why would I ever want to do that? I got to deal with the American healthcare system and all the, uh, you know, crap that that entails. And I'm just like, Oh my God, if my kid, yeah, I'll, yeah, it's like if I do come down there, you have to buy me a million dollar house that's paid for, and every time a kid gets sick, I get a private yeah. jet back to Canada. <laughs> and I'm like, obviously, that's never going to happen. And anyway, I would never do it anyway. It's like I'm so happy here, and I like 
being able to live the life that I have here by just like, you know, owning a house and having a nice backyard for my kids to play in. My kids' school is five minutes away and we bike there every single day. I mean, I there's no amount of money or no amount of anything that any city could offer me that would do you think that the that, fact you know, you know that, that this kind of business model quote unquote that that you that you know that is your uh your you, you know your business model is uh sustainable in a big city like San Francisco like it probably is right i mean if mm-hmm. oh yeah totally like i mean you don't you don't your only overhead is whatever your rent is and right. a decent computer and internet you know that's literally it I mean, I have to buy hard drives to back up all my stuff every now and then. And I just bought like a UPS just in case my power <laughs> flakes out again. <laughs> you know, other than that, I mean, like this is the thing. It's a completely, there's so little overhead, you know. And I remember when I went to my account, she's like, holy smokes, you have like no expenses. I'm like, yeah, it's just I'm in yeah. my basement, in my house, you know. <laughs> it's it's great. And so that's part of the reason also why it's just like I would never expand this because this works. You know, this works for me. This may not be what everybody wants to do. Like there's people out there that their goal is, you know, it's like, oh, I want to run a company. I need to have a company. It's like, oh, it's all about having a company. I'm just like, you know, right. a company of one is pretty good, you know, and you can keep that and make it sustainable. Like unless your goals and aspirations are very different, why not keep it simple? You know, like I'm at a different point in my life now where I would be like, you know, dealing with the complexities of that is just something I just right. don't have the patience for, you know, maybe 20 years ago, I might've. So now, right I mean, now, now you know, you're, you've already established that, you know, you kind of, your name is associated with video game trailers. Do you find yourself still kind of actively working at, at like maintaining and, and, uh, and uh, promoting your brand as a video game trailer uh, director, or is it something that kind of uh, happens on its own? Yeah. Like, how much of your energy, like your day day to day energy, do you think you you spend on on promoting your brand? You know, I used to spend a lot more, um, and the way I try to do that mm-hmm. now is by doing talks. You know, so I would go to the game developers conference and do talks. You know, about you know, here's the stuff I've been doing with mixed reality, and here's the stuff I've been doing with you know avatar-based trailers, and that's that's kind of my main thing that I've been doing. Like I'm active on Twitter, you know, and I try to share behind the scenes, you know, gifts and stuff of what I can. You know, that's not under NDA or not that I can't share or whatever. Um, You know, where I can, and I used to be a lot better about doing that stuff. And honestly, I've probably just been getting a little bit lazy and maybe a little bit complacent about it, to be honest, um, lately, just because I'm, I'm lucky that I have the, you know, the sort of uh, cushion of working yeah. with Devolver, you know, so like I'm on retainer with them. So it's it's almost like being like on salary, essentially. So it's like if if I don't have to push super hard, I don't have to. And like right now, especially this this year that kind of like started in you know i get well for me a year starts in september because oh. that's when i can start school <laughs> just yeah. so like yeah. i actually made yeah literally like two weeks ago for us so like this this year you know i made a very conscious decision that i'm actually like i'm gonna spend less time on twitter less time just you know promoting myself and doing things i'm not doing any talks for you know the next 12 months i'm not doing any of that stuff i'm not going to travel because I just need to focus on my, like my personal physical and like mental health. You know, I started going to the gym three times a week and I like, I seeing a trainer that actually like, so like, I don't know how to use stuff (laughs) in the gym. So I need somebody to show me, right. How do you, you lift weights? How do you do this? Oh dude, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I've been doing that, you know, and trying to get the mental health stuff because you know, it's like, it's tough, you know, working alone, you know, and, 
you know, being in your basement all day and oh, being yeah. a little bit isolated that way. And so that kind of sucks. I'm trying like, you know, before I just didn't have time. I was just, I was always here, you know? So it's like, Oh, I want to do this thing. Like, see, can I see you in the middle of the day? And it's like, no, I'm working on this giant project. I can't do that. So I'm kind of, I said no to one big project that I've been doing for the past five years. And that's like the graphics package for the, uh, independent games festival and the choice awards it's sort of like this indie games it's like oh, the oscars are they they're not in winnipeg though they're yeah. so san francisco. no 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 they're in san francisco so they're part of the game developers conference yeah. that you know i attend every year and so like i do this giant graphics package for them and that takes me basically from like september to march and i do that in between all the other work that i have to do as well but it literally like takes up a hundred percent of my free time and then some because it kind of it's one of those projects where it's never done right. until like yeah. the time runs out so it it occupies as much time as you're allowed to let it give yeah that you give it so i said no to that this year because it's like i need just some personal time to just focus on my health, get back in shape. My back was just like hurting. I wasn't sleeping well, you know, because you're tossing and turning and whatever. So I need to get that dealt with. And even in just like the past couple months of going there, that's it, great. It's helped dramatically. So yeah, so I'm trying to do that for a year. Anyway, this is a long about way of saying no, I'm not promoting myself as much as I There's stocks that you were getting there where you, uh, so you had yeah. to travel for them, I assume, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Did you, did you find it easy to, or I mean, I guess it, it it's very uh, personal because I mean, it, it based, it's based on your success in your professional life. So it's like for, in your case, I'm sure it wasn't that hard to get those uh, talking uh, opportunities. You're probably being approached by uh, festival organizers or conference organizers. Well, yeah, the way it works with, with GDC at least is which, which is where I do like the majority of them is you submit a talk and then it gets graded by a bunch of like, you know, people that work there in the, in the, I see. So you would actually do, would actually yeah, do like, like they're bored or whatever. And then no, if they I mean, you actually the, proactively oh, like reach out to them, you submit a talk and then they, I see. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and there's been other cases where it's been the other way around too. I mean, like when I first did the, the mixed reality stuff, um, YouTube actually, the guy was one of the guys that was running uh, the YouTube headquarters. He was like, "Hey, do you want to come down and like talk to our developers and like give a talk about this stuff that you've done with like the Fantastic Contraption trailer?" Because um, they were just getting into like Google Cardboard, yeah. you know, and all the, all that stuff, right? And getting like their their Google Daydream mm -hmm. headset working. So. Um, he's like, Hey, do you want to come and do a talk? And I'm like, I don't have a talk ready. <laughs> I don't know what I can do. So anyway, that evolved into like version one of my mixed reality talk, which then evolved into the giant blog post I did, which then evolved into like a better talk that I gave at GDC and a couple other places, you know, like here locally. And I can't remember where else I did. I did it in Vancouver and a few other places too. I'm like, Hey, I've got this talk. You want, can I come out and do it? And they're like, yeah, sure. If you can make your way out or do it. So yeah, I did that. Like, you know, I think that year of like 2016, 2017 was the most I'd ever traveled in like a year. It was insane. Um, but just giving this talk because everybody was super into like this new mixed reality thing and VR in general. I mean, the hype machine was just like, you know, yeah. the metal that there's something right? very kind of exciting so, about how yeah. those things happen. I mean, I know with me with mixed reality, it was all, it, it, I didn't really know how I'm going to get there. Who are going to, who are, who is going to be by my side when I get, you know, to do this kind of achievement that I'm looking for, you know, that, that specific thing with uh, multiplayer mixed reality. Um, but it's like, it's mm -hmm. kind of like, um, it takes off and, and it, and it goes on in a direction that you don't always anticipate. And it's kind of like part of the excitement of the journey, uh, where you, you don't know what's yeah. going to happen. You know, you're doing something exciting because, uh, first of all, you know, no one, you know, 
you, you have a pretty good idea that you're one of the first ones in that field and that attracts other people to join you on your, on your journey. And then it's just kind of, um, uh, you know, there's, there's something very, um, unknown and, and, uh, and exploratory about this. And, and, you know, I think it's something that, uh, one of the reasons I, I wanted to talk to you about because you, you have this kind of unusual, you know, profession that you chose that, you know, there's not a lot of people who do what you do. Um, there's no clear carved path, you know, that, uh, that you can follow and you can say, Oh, I'm doing, you know, I'm checking these boxes and I'm going to be fine kind of thing. You know, it's like, you don't really know, like you yeah. said, you know, maybe the game industry is going to explode and like, you know, and who knows what's going to happen. You know, it's good to have a, uh, a teacher as a, as a wife, you know, or whatever. But, um, um, I, I, I think that's, uh, that sounds like something that you, that excites you and that, that kind of keeps you going. Yeah, completely. Like I, you know, I had, if you would have told, you know, 16 or 15 year old me that I would be doing video game trailers, I, I would have thought you were nuts. You know, like I had no idea. Like I, like who even would imagine that this is a thing, right? Like there's literally like, you know, I can think of about six ish people, you know, slash companies that are kind of doing indie game trailers. Right. Like as like, why do you think that is by the way? I'm kind of curious just because it's it really just, just dawned on me that it's like, you know, there are not a lot of people doing it. And yet, you know, games are very popular. Game trailers are, are everywhere. Right. I mean, wherever there's a game. I have asked that same question. I have no idea. Like, I don't understand why every motion graphics artist and every ex visual effects guy isn't trying to do this or get a pot piece of it. Because I mean, there are like, I, I keep track of like, Oh, there's another person that's trying to make a go of it with indie game trailer stuff. Oh, let's check out his website. Eh, this stuff is right. kind of so, so or whatever. You know, like, I think, like, myself and Derek are probably the two big ones. And they're my friend, actually, one of the guys in Winnipeg here um, that helped work on the Winnetron and everything. He moved to Ottawa, and he actually, like, started doing indie game mm. trailers as, like, his gig as well. And he was doing that. So, like, we knew each other. And it's, like, when I was busy, I would send him work, or he would send work to Derek. Like, we all know each right. other because there's, like, so few of us, right? <laughs> so, I mean, but Marlon, um, he... Well, he's like in a kind of different situation. He doesn't have kids and he just has a wife and they, he's was kind of missing working with other people. And I completely understand that. Um, because I do too. Like it's, I remember when I was working in visual effects, I was working next to this guy who was literally sitting next to me, this Bulgarian guy named Bobo. And he was just like this giant pulsing brain. And I would just like look over his computer and he's doing these things in Macs that I've never seen before. And I'm just like, what is this? What are you doing? This is incredible. And he's like doing all this stuff with Mac script. And I don't know. He's just like one of those brilliant dudes, you know? And so I miss that being able to sit next to people and like suck off their brains and just like, oh, let's get all that knowledge, you know? Is that his real name or is that his nickname? That is his real name. I cannot remember oh, okay. his last name for the life of me right now, but he is just this happy, joyful guy. And Bobo is the oh, okay, his name okay. and it is him. <laughs> he's great. Yeah, he's great. Anyway. So like with Marlon specifically, he, he decided I want to work with other people. And so he got a job at a studio called brace yourself games. Who made this really uh, great game called crypt of the necro dancer made bazillions wow. of dollars. It was just like a money hose and being shot at him for that. And then, uh, so yeah, he's working at that studio and they're working on a bunch of games. So he's doing like in-game cinematic stuff with like unity and their cinemachine engine and doing the same thing with like uh, unreal as well. And that's something I'd love to try to mess with at some point, but um, I just got to sort of, yeah, use, use their tools project. and the timeline. So he's not, yeah. they let you do. Yeah. 
yeah. I've done something with you. Well, I didn't do yeah. it. I, I was working on a project where the first pitch viz that they did, they used, uh, they used the Unreal Engine uh, like scope. And I, I needed to, I was for a while, I was kind of toying with the idea of doing, I was supposed to do the previs based on the pitch viz that they did. And I was like, what if I, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I could either port everything out into 3D Studio Max which is my, you know, program of choice and I know how to use it. I'm very, uh, uh, you know, efficient with it. Or maybe I will teach myself Unity, uh, not Unity, I mean Unreal Engine and, and uh, just kind of pick it up from where they mm-hmm. left off. Then I ended up going, falling back to 3D Studio Max because it's too easy to, you know, to use your familiar tools. and, and uh, um, Yeah. But yeah, I had a little bit of a taste of it because I was like, for a few days, I was just toying around with the tool and I was like, wow, that's like, that's amazing. That's the future, like real-time editing. And- there, oh, I know the real-time stuff that is in like, like I guess, you know, now with like the RTX cards, like the real-time ray tracing stuff, the demos, like, I don't know if you've seen that like Star Wars mm-hmm. demo that like ILM had with like the, the, the stormtroopers and like uh, Captain Phasma and it's like all real-time reflections and all that. <laughs> and I'm just like, good God, like, why is my After Effects right. render taking so bloody long to do 2D motion blur? And I'm just like, ah, you know, and there's reasons because it's based on 20 year old code and they're still working. And it's just like, I, it's, it's mind boggling to me that like a company like Maxon that makes like cinema 4d or just there, there just hasn't been a viable competitor to After Effects. I mean, there's like hit film and I mean, which is okay for some things, but it's just like there's nothing with like the depth right. of what After Effects has, and it sucks. Like every single update to After Effects is just like here's a bunch oh, of yeah. just like nickel and dime features. Then the core of this program is still the same exactly. core that was there 20 years ago that needs to be just ripped out and started from scratch. And I'm just like someone at Unity needs to just like fork Unity. And be like, here's a real-time motion graphics program where you can just make insane visuals. And then with a click of a button, it renders out a PNG sequence, you know, at 32 bits with alpha. And just imagine the amount of fun that you could have with that, like either using that for elements or like, here's a here's your PNG sequence with all your depth passes and all the, all the uh, stuff you need for post-compositing. Go nuts. You know, and I'm just like, man, like, or how hard would it be to import 4K video into Unity and maybe branch out their timeline stuff? And so we could use some of this real time, you know, real time motion graphics stuff with real footage. I don't know. I just think that maybe it's the same. Maybe it's connected to the fact that there's not a lot of people doing, you know, video game trails. It's really just like the fact that there's, you know, that's the problem that, you know, it all it takes is one guy, you know, who's going to take it on as like a personal project mm-hmm. for a few years and like, you know, come up with something amazing. I mean, probably not just one guy, but like, yeah. you know, theoretically it could be done. It's, it reminds me of the guys who did, uh, have you heard of Fabric Engine? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. That um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like a scripting language or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was kind of like a backbone. It was weird. Yeah, it, it was hard to. That's that was one of the issues. Like, it was hard to to wrap your head around what exactly it was. But it was supposed to be like the the foundation of a new uh, kind of you know ground up three uh, D program that uh, uses you know uh, kind of top of the line current uh, you know scripting languages and and uh, based on current kind of CPU architectures and GPU architectures to like speed everything up. Right. And from what they showed, you know, it's basically kind of like taking the core, taking like, let's say 3D Studio Max has, you know, this kind of basic engine that runs all, you know, all of its uh, 3D stuff in the background, which is like 
old, it's ancient, right? And Maya is the same thing, it's ancient. So they're like, let's build that. Let's just create a new engine that where everything, you know, kind of starts there and uh, and then use and then use 3D Studio or Maya as like the shell instead of, you know, instead of trying to like build patches on top of that, you know, kind of old uh, ancient engine, uh, engine, let's build the engine itself and like uh, come up with it from a different angle. And I think, you know, from what they, from what I've seen in their kind of online progress uh, was, uh, was pretty f- fantastic. Like it, it was exactly kind of like that kind of moment where you're like, exactly. That's like, that's the world we live in now. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, 2016 or whatever, whenever it was, yeah. uh, this is, this is how fast those things should be. Yeah. Why are we dealing with, you know, with slowdowns? Why are we still relying on this old tech and stuff uh, yeah. nowadays? But uh, I think they ended up getting bought by, <laughs> I think it was, I think they were bought by, uh, I, I want to say, was it XSI? Like the guys who did oh, XSI? Like Alias, which is probably, oh God, God. Alias. Yeah. But- and then they, got, then they got purchased by Autodesk and All Autodesk right. killed them. God, kill the It's so uh, frustrating. That's so frustrating. That's so frustrating. But yeah, God. yeah. You know, there's things. I, I've I was uh, I know a bunch of people who worked like uh, there's a, a company called Prime Sense in Israel. Uh, I think I have a, a distant relative who used to work there. Was one of the founders of the company. And then I think they got they they their big kind of contribution to um, to the world, and I'm sure you know about it. It's the um, the depth sensor yeah, the that they connect, yeah. the connect, right? Yeah. So that was kind of like their, their, their kind of break into the thing. Like the connect was actually basically the prime sensor yeah. uh, thing. And then they got bought by Apple, right. I think. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think that's the end of the world. Well, yeah. Well now the connect is in the top notch of every iPhone, right? <laughs> Which is, right. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, I mean the technology lives and stuff, yeah. but like it's definitely, and, and, and it probably will end up becoming a big, you know, drive in, you know, AR and stuff like mm-hmm. that in the future, which is good, which I can't say it's a bad thing, yeah. but like, you know, I wonder if they had been, you know, kind of left on their element or like if, if Apple didn't like, you know, just kind of, you know, uh, eat them yeah. alive, essentially, uh, if they would have come up with, uh, with other solutions. Cause there's uh, a lot of things that are in the works. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, hard but, to know. But I think like the, yeah, I, th- I think the, the, the fact that, you know, you got these like giant, giant companies where, you know, everything kind of moves a bit slower and, uh, but people get kind of the, the security job security and, and, you know, they don't have to worry about, you know, where's this project going to take me, you know, like some people don't like, I guess the, um, the, the 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 uncertainty of of working alone mm-hmm. and and kind of making your own projects and exploring and seeing where it's going to end and and not knowing where it's going to end. But oh yeah, well tell me about it. I was one of those people. Like I remember when I worked at Frantic, I was like, I will never work for myself. It's just like that is too stressful. I mean, and now I'm on the flip side of the coin where I'm like, I could, don't know if I could ever work for a company again. You know, so yeah. yeah, it's it's I've definitely changed my my perspective on that. But I mean, I'm also very fortunate that I sort of do have like this you know like buffer with Devolver right now. I mean, if I didn't have that, I definitely would be pushing a lot harder on some things and probably having to take on more work than I would feel comfortable with in some cases. So like, I've kind of got the best of both worlds, I feel like, and I'm very, very fortunate for that. So, yeah. That's great. So, um, for, before we leave, what, what is the kind of new thing you're excited about or what do you think your next project or your next, maybe not your next project. Cause I mean, I'm sure I'm guessing your next project is probably going to be another 
video game trailer, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> That's what I do every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, it, it's kind of neat. Like I like seeing, you know, what new tech is kind of like coming down the pipe. And I mean, literally just before we jumped on this podcast, I mean, like Oculus just announced, I think it was like the Oculus Quest, which is like a completely tetherless, you know, walk around the room, you know, kind of VR system with like track controllers and stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's another step in this. It's kind of interesting. So yeah, it'll be neat to see where, where VR goes. I mean, like I, I was pretty excited about everything like back, you know, two years ago when it was starting. You know, I wasn't on like the hype train where like everybody in their house is going to have a box on their face, you know, <laughs> but like, I did, obviously that's never going to happen. But I mean, I think the possibilities for what you can do in VR are pretty neat. I mean, like some of the games are like incredible, but I think things like architecture are really neat, you know, so I, I'm kind of right. curious to see where if VR kind of falls off the map. AR stuff is kind of neat too. I think it's like mostly annoying for the, the most part, but I mean, there's some <laughs> neat applications that I've seen with that, but like nothing that's just like, holy crap, this is going to change the world. You know, like I've seen the magic right. leap, like the magic, ugh, like I bitch about magic leap on Twitter all the time. It's just like, man, imagine if like the 50 bazillion dollars that have been funneled into this were right. to like homeless shelters or something, you know, and all we've got is just like, ah, here's like some, here's an ad popping up in front of your face. Or here's like this dude throwing rocks at you. And I'm just like, really all this money <laughs> for this, which is not much better. Uh, you know, I don't know. Like the hollow lens was just like a friggin' joke. You know, when I tried it, like that thing was awful. So. Oh yeah. No, that's yeah. So I don't know. Like, did, did you try the magic leap? Did you actually, No, I, I haven't had a chance, but I heard like that the field of view isn't like insane or it's not like it covers. Right. Water. Exactly. You know, it's the same sort of idea. It's like a little window in front of you or whatever, but I mean, maybe it's better. I haven't tried it. But I, I read the I read the uh, uh, Paul Malucky review of Magic Leap. That was very entertaining. Oh. Like he rips. <laughs> I haven't he seen really that. Rips it apart. It's really funny. You should read it. Oh man, I'm <laughs> I'm writing that down so I can Google it after this. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like honestly, I don't know. I kind of just like pick things as they come. You know, like the VR thing. I mean, like it, it. That felt like a really just like perfect moment for me because like having the experience I had in visual effects. You know, like I've composited like 15 billion green screens, you know, so I know what I need to do to make that look <laughs> right, you know, and then dealing yeah. with this new tech and sort of merging those two things was was perfect. Like it, it was the perfect project for me. So I don't know, will something like that come along again? Maybe we're like with an AR game, we could composite, you know, some of the stuff from the game into live action footage or something. I would love to do that. Um, but yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the next step is, to be honest. Like, I hope something comes out and surprises me. Like the VR thing just was out of left field. I didn't expect it at all. Um, I love doing the avatar based trailers. They are so fun. It's like, it's, yeah, you guys should check it out. I'm, I'm going to like break the fourth wall for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Cause it's going to be like, uh, yeah, definitely check it out. These are really awesome. The, I mean, I, I love Rick and Morty, the Rick and Morty, uh, virtual reality. So, yeah. I mean, any, any, uh, and, and that was a really good trailer for that. I mean, it, and, uh, I mean, I'm, I was, uh, obviously very excited about mixed reality as well. Also, I think from the same, for the same reasons, not so much necessarily for like promoting the VR, uh, experiences themselves, just the fact you have like real time camera tracking yeah. and, uh, and all that. Like I was Im initially interested in, because I thought of it as a, as like a previous tool yeah. on set, yeah. you know, when you shoot on a green screen, I've actually never had a chance to do that for a, uh, live action production. I keep, I keep, you know, dreaming of an opportunity to like, you know, having a client that would be like game, you know, to bring in a, a vibe to set and like do that kind of uh Well, you should, I don't know content. if you've seen the stuff they did with like Rogue One, but I mean, there's clips online of like, basically they have an, uh, an iPad with a vibe controller on it and they're just using it as like a window into the 
virtual world and they're setting up yeah. shots. And, and I mean, it's great. I mean, the totally. applications for that are endless. Like it's fantastic. And being able yeah. to shoot, like it's the space channel five trailer I did was great. Like we were doing these giant jib moves, you know, that would have cost like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> oh. with a real set and all the material, all the people and oh my God. And we're just, yeah, let's do another shot. Let's do another round of this. And we're just doing it in my basement, you know, and making these awesome looking right. shots. You just, so when you do when you do it in your basement, do you have someone helping you? Because you yeah. can't really do it on your own. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And for most of them, my friend Vince comes over, and he is either the one that's in VR um, or I am, and he's the one operating the camera. Or I am. We kind of swap out depending on which the game is. Um, gotcha. Yeah, because obviously you need someone sort of playing, and, and we kind of have a shorthand. We've done a couple of these now, and we've been we've known each other since like high school. So we oh, that's great. Yeah, so we just work together and play around and do this stuff, and it's great fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and uh, where can people find you online? I mean, uh, it wouldn't be hard. You just, I mean, I, I know if you search Kurt Gardner on uh, uh, on Google. Yeah, I'm pretty uh, Google. You know, plenty, plenty, plenty of stuff comes up, but like, uh, if if you wanted to like control that, well, yeah, yeah. Where were you? Saying? No, the best. Like, I'm most active on Twitter, though. This year, I'm kind of taking a little bit of a Twitter break, though. I'm still on it, but you know, I'm not as uh, you know, I'm not in front of it every second of the day like I used to be. Um, so yeah, Twitter is great. I'm just at Kurt Gartner, but my spelling is weird. It's K E R T. You know, it's a it's a weird mm-hmm. spelling of Kurt. And then uh, um, just my website, KurtGartner.com. You know, I've got all my latest trailers up there that I think are worth showing. And yeah, the, those yeah, are the two main yeah, places. I'm definitely going to post the link and I'm probably going to embed one of the, some of them on, on the page for the, for the episode as well. Awesome. Man, it was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, this was great. Thank uh, you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, let's do it again. And uh, anytime you want to come by when you're in LA, uh, you're welcome. All right. Welcome. I'm not planning on doing any trips anytime soon, but I will let you know if something you happens. You seem to be a bit of a hermit. You seem to be very like, you know, enjoying the fact that you're away. And <laughs> You know, it's just like, you know, I love, you know, I love traveling, you know, but traveling for work is like a little bit different sometimes. You know, traveling for fun is like a completely different thing than when you're going there and it's like, I have to do this That's thing. True. I have to do this thing. Like every time I go to San Francisco, you know, I'm just like, oh man, it's just like, I, I would love, to, I usually try to go with like a day or two buffer so I can actually just like explore the city a little bit more every time. Right. You know, and that's, that's the way I've been trying to handle it lately but uh, yeah it, it, it's, it's tough I, I like the, the comforts of home you know I really do but you know when when I go traveling for work it's kind of just like a bit of a crying sometimes oh uh, yes <laughs> yeah so you know I, I appreciate the I appreciate the comforts of home <laughs> awesome well have a great day okay thank you, you so too much. thank you very much bye Congrats, you reached the end of this episode. Can't believe you're here. And I'm actually wondering if you're here. I never know if people actually listen to these episodes all the way to the end. So uh, if you do, and uh, you've already spent, you know, a good hour and a half of your time, um, don't hesitate to leave a note and to let me know that you did, because it'd be nice (laughs) and cool. And if you have any recommendations uh, and any things you want me to change, let me know. Uh, Until next week, this is episode 7 of the Post Post Podcast.